Good morning, listeners. You're welcome to this week's Ag Report. I'm Jim Finn. My guests this morning are Alma Jordan from AgriKids. I will also I have John Egan, who is the Rural Recreation Officer for Tipperary, and my final guest this morning will be Jim Bergen, who is the CEO of Tier Lawn. My first guest this morning is Vincent Power from Chagas in Clamel, and Vincent and I are going to be uh, talking about some of the key management issues that will be on farms over the coming uh, months. Good morning, Vincent, and thanks very much for joining us. Good morning, Jim. Thanks for having me again. Okay, Vincent. Now, I suppose uh, hedge cutting has started again, uh, restarted. Uh, So what are some of the key points for farmers around hedge row management during the hedge cutting season? Yeah, well, look, Jim, I suppose the first thing to say is we had a hedgerow week here last week um, in the country and then Chagas, and Chagas ran a couple of signpost webinars and there was various events on. Um, and it's important, I suppose, that week to kind of emphasise the importance of our hedgerows to farmers uh, and then just to try and give a bit of advice on the correct management on how to how to look after them and keep them in good order and uh, how farmers can uh, manage them during the hedge cutting season. So, yeah, the hedge cutting season started uh, on the 1st of September and it will run until the end of um, or till March next year. Mm-hmm. But I suppose there's a few key points for farmers uh, to remember. And I suppose the first thing I would say is farmers that are getting contractors in to cut their hedges, they need to be talking to the contractor and uh, giving them advice on like what way they want the hedges cut. So it's important. There's probably two main types of hedges on farms. The first type is probably escaped hedges or tree-line hedges. And those hedges are a couple of hundred years old. And they're kind of... The advice with those types of hedges is that you're, you're only side-trimming only because they're, they're a tree-line hedge and you don't want to... You don't want to affect what the, what they're doing for biodiversity, I suppose. So it's it's basically just a, a side trim only on those types of hedges. Now, in terms of a managed hedge, those are the hedges that I suppose a lot of farmers are are, are trying to keep for stock stock shelter and that kind of thing. So those types of hedges, the key thing with them is to kind of cut them maybe in an A shape. So the idea is that you cut them in a triangular shape. Um, you're trying to keep the that shape because you're trying to get uh, light into the base of the hedge and that kind of rejuvenates it every year and it keeps it thick. Now what I would say with those types of hedges is that farmers should try and leave at least one, we'll say, white thorn tree go go to full size. So to, to leave it turn into a tree uh, in each hedge. So if you have 100 metres of hedge down, the, down one side of the field, leave one go to full height. And basically, that's that's adding another element for birds that use it for song perches and and um, mm-hmm. for different elements of biodiversity. Now, I suppose the thing the thing with those types of hedges is they provide a, a lot of shelter. Uh, they provide food. They provide nest sites for birds, so they are important. So it's important to do, to, to 
for farmers to distinguish what type of hedge they have before they decide uh, which way they're going to cut them. And I suppose the other thing is you don't want to be cutting them every year. So you want to maybe maintain them on a three-year cycle so that if you cut that, that hedge this year, you mightn't do it again for another three years. And I suppose the other thing is you might want to keep your fence out and maybe create a bit of a margin outside the hedge. And that allows both another element of an ecosystem in a way to develop, but it also allows the contractor a lot easier access to, to cut the hedge. You know? Advice then to somebody that uh, down through the years, uh, you know, uh, are cutting these very neat hedges with flat tops. Can they now at this date start trying to make them into uh, an A-shaped an A-shaped fence. Yeah, well, instead. I see. Look, the, those those types of hedges look they're very pleasing on the eye and aesthetically yeah. pleasing, but they don't do a whole lot for biodiversity. And the problem with them is, if you keep cutting the hedges down to the same height and a nice tidy square back and sides uh, every year, it'll eventually it'll kill out the hedge. And what you'll find is you'll have gaps down the mm-hmm. at the base of the hedge, and eventually there's just no real value left in it. You'll see gaps in it. So those types of hedges, Catherine Keenan, the specialist here, she'd call them upside down tile brush hedges sometimes. And uh, those types of hedges, they could be in line for something like coppicing or that if there was a lot of gaps. But I would yeah. say farmers should never consider coppicing or that without getting uh, advice from either an advisor or a specialist uh, hedge planters. But look, it, it, it's very it's very much dependent on the type of hedge, Jim. So yeah. if if it was a good quality hedge and it was short and square, fair enough. Maybe if you leave it off and do do try and uh, cut it in an A shape from now on. Um, but look, yeah, it, it it definitely does depend. Every hedge is kind of individual, like in that sense, you know. But it's it the advice is not to cut your hedges like that. It's to keep that kind of A frame uh, shape on managed hedges and leave a thorn tree go to full full mm-hmm. tree uh, every few years as well. What role do hedgerows play in protecting our native biodiversity then? Yeah, so they, look, they play a huge role, um, Jim. You know, there, there's so many species that uh, rely on hedgerows. So our birds, so we have about 110 bird species in Ireland, and I think about 55 of them use hedges and about 35 use them to nest. In terms of mammals, hedgehogs use them, shrews, uh, the pine martens, Bats use them, bees use them for um, pollen and that. Uh, we have about 1,400 species of moths that use them and butterflies use them. So they're, they're a huge, um, they have a huge impact on biodiversity and they're, they're, they're really important in that sense. Um, there's ongoing research, even Chagascar kind of, it's, I suppose it's in its early stages, but it'll be important over the next few years. Uh, in terms of the carbon capture, capture of um, hedgerows and what they can take in. And, you know, uh, that there's ongoing research in that, and that'll be important in terms of long-term reducing our emissions, I suppose. Then in terms of water, look, they play an important role in uh, being a barrier to... They use up excess nutrients in fields, maybe, and they, they also can act as a barrier to overland flow, so they're important in that sense. And then, of course, with livestock, they offer shelter for livestock during both during the, the sunny, when it's sunny, the weather is sunny, and also when it's when it's poor and there's rain and hail as, as uh, coming mm-hmm. down outside, they, they provide a shelter for livestock. So they play a massive role, and I suppose the main... Like birds, I suppose the amount of birds that use them for 
nesting and and for mating and all that. So it's they they play a massive role for bird species, uh, native bird species as well. Okay, you mentioned earlier then when we were talking there that farmers should seek advice if they were planting a new hedgerow. Yeah, so I suppose look. The thing is, uh, when you're planting a new hedgerow, you're you're trying to choose the right the right species for the right habitat. So, I suppose the first thing to say is, when you're planting a new hedgerow, you have to try and plant native species. And the reason for that is, native species are in tune with every other. It's like a whole ecosystem. So, your native white thorn, your native black thorn, that that then type of species. And the other thing on that is to plant. Irish provenance. So what that means is white thorn that's been basically of Irish origin. So you can have a white thorn plant, for example, from Europe, Eastern Europe, and it's a native species compared to the same as white thorn in Ireland, but it'll bud and flower at different stages, probably earlier in the year. So so that has a knock-on effect then on insects. So if you plant an Eastern European and it and it's it it's uh, flowering before the bees and uh, mm-hmm. the birds are are in season, we'll say for their uh, young, mm-hmm. it has a knock-on effect on the rest of biodiversity. So the key thing is to plant Irish origin and uh, native species. I suppose in terms of um, the, the you have to consider the type of ground. So for example, a white thorn won't suit a wet type of ground. So you'd be looking maybe at putting a black thorn in. And I suppose the other thing is to kind of mix it up a bit. Um, so if you could put in, you know, three different types of species. So you might put a bit of holly in. You might put, like, obviously you're going to, your main thing is going to be white thorn or black thorn probably in a farmland. But you'd like to put in maybe a bit of gelder rose and a bit of holly as well just to, to mix it up. And to like a gelder rose is a very good one because it provides pollen in the summer months for pollinators and then in the winter in the late autumn it has berries which is another food source for birds and stuff like that okay uh one last question to you then this morning vincent uh can you just give the listeners an update on where we stand with the acre scheme yeah so the acre scheme progressing well uh jim so as you know all of the farmers that applied and were eligible got into the acre scheme. So I think it was around 46,000 farmers. I suppose the main job during the summer months there that we were doing was scoring um, the cooperation zone farms. So they had to be walked, all these farms, and scored. So I think we'd done close to 300 in the region of Tipperary. We walked the farms and scored them for the for the CP then. Uh, the other key thing, I suppose, with the acres is the courses. So every acre's a uh, participant has to complete a mandatory six-hour course and I suppose we'll be starting them now at the end of September and in Clamel anyway we'll have to run about 10 of them and they'll be going on until the end of October and then Nina and Tardis will be running them as well so it's important farmers will be they'll have to be getting contacted already or they will be getting contacted um, by mm-hmm. us anyway Chagas clients in the next few weeks about attending those course and it is mandatory they have to do it as part of the, the acres so it's important just to say that yeah so that's that's pretty that's, much how the acre the other yeah. thing is tranche too there will be a second tranche it hasn't been announced uh, officially yet but it's likely to be sometime in the middle of october so any farmers that didn't go into acres they might into the first tranche they might uh, want to consider the second tranche and it should be sometime in the middle of october
OK, well, look, thanks very much for joining us this morning. You're giving us an awful lot of very, very useful information, Vincent. Listeners, that was Vincent Power from Chagas in Clonmel. Listeners, my next guest is somebody we haven't had on for quite some time. I thought she was lost up there in the Midlands, but I don't think that's the case uh, because... Alma Jordan of AgriKids, and now she has a new book out, so I'm quite sure that she was working behind closed doors for quite some time. Good morning, Alma, and thanks very much for joining us. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Jim. Thank you. Great to have you back on. How has AgriKids been going since uh, we last spoke, and I can't remember when? Oh, well, sure, it's business as usual. As soon as kind of the uh, schools close their doors, the, the, the shows and events yes. take off. So it's, it's been very busy over the last number of months visiting shows around the country. I have, a, I have an interactive mobile vehicle, uh, the Farm Safe Roadshow, uh, which is on the road as often as I can get it onto the road. We've just come from the International Sheepdog Trials in Blessington. And the day prior to it, that uh, Balbriggan Garden Station had their community open day. So it was wonderful to have farm safety included in what would probably be considered more of an urban audience. So um, it was just great to be able to interact, engage and, and, and chat with everybody, not just about farm safety, but also about farming, which I'm very, very passionate about. Uh, you know, in, in, in including in these conversations. So, you know, farming and non-farming communities can all connect because uh, I, I do feel we, we have a bit of a disconnect when it comes to, to farming and non-farming. Right. Can I ask you a question then? You know, you've been yeah. around quite some time and uh, I've been on about farm safety for as long as I have been doing this particular programme here in Tipperary. You know, are we making any headrows? We don't seem to be, I suppose, uh, are we getting that message out? You know, I think people are starting to realise that it's not just a case of telling people how to be safe. I think it, this, and this for me with AgriKids, mm-hmm. and it was a big driver with AgriKids, is about including more and more people in this conversation and making it something that becomes instinctive to all of us and to, to, to support the message, not to be forcing the message, but to be supporting the message. And when I talk about that, I talk about let's get our children talking about it. Let's get it into our schools where it does have a place. And I, I've managed to find a niche there, but also... Um, making sure that we talk to those companies, to those organisations who profiteer from farming. Are they involved in making sure that our primary producers, that their safety and their well-being is valued as much as their product is? And, and you know, luckily I have, you know, found quite a few sponsors and supporters who operate within the agri sector to help me with my work. But this really is part of a much, much bigger conversation. And a lot of people talk about the culture of farming and the behaviours and all that that kind of thing. But everybody has to get involved with the safety message. You know, it, it's not just, it, you know, to direct it at farmers on their own is not enough. The whole farm family unit, the community and the whole sector, we all have to, we all have a huge role to our play. Um, unfortunately, you know, the uh, stats, are the very sobering reality of all of this. You know, it, it's 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 year on year, 50% of all workplace fatalities are happening on our farm. So until this message is properly supported 
and and adhere to and acknowledge, well, then, you know what, those stats aren't going to change. And, and for me, that is both heartbreaking, but also a great motivator, too, because where I have started to see a lot of progress is with our younger communities, is with our children, and being able to give a voice to that silent majority who feel sometimes they may not have a, you know, a say in the safety within their own home or within their own community, but knowing that you know their feelings and their instincts are actually true and are relevant and have a place and making sure that they have a voice in all of this. Because believe it or not, I have found quite a few people out there who, who do feel quite strongly about certain things and practices that they're seeing in their own community, but never before felt brave enough or confident enough to actually address it. These people are starting to find a voice now. And so they are where I find a little bit of confidence in on this, this topic. Because you and I know that the stat we usually get is some is a fatality. But behind every one of those fatalities, there are a whole lot of near misses. And that has a terrible effect on the farm family as well. Because if somebody loses a limb or an arm or bad, a bad head injury, that has an effect on the farm as well, Alma. Absolutely. As devastating, I'm, I'm very um, fortunate mm-hmm. to do work with Embrace Farm also. And, and, and that keeps me very grounded and very focused on what, you know, what we are trying to achieve here. And there are some real cases out there of people who have had the, the near miss, but they've had a life altering injury. And these people are adjusting to a brand new normal that has a ripple effect, not just for the for those affected, but for those within the family who are equally impacted and and people must realize that you know when when an accident happens on a farm you have the emotional but you have a very practical situation emerging where you have people who are left you know charged with the with the need to to run a farm to feed the animals the cows still need to be milked the harvest still needs to come in you know all that paperwork still needs to, to, to to be done so the business the enterprise that has to be kept going also to, to make sure, you know, that the family can be supported and can move through this. And I must really call on the work of Embrace Farm, who have done some incredible work, not just in supporting these families directly, but bringing this issue to, to such prominence and, and to, to highlighting it within the sector. OK, now I do want to talk about the new book. Mm. Anyway, tell yeah. us about the new book, please. Well, as, as I mentioned there, I'm, I've, I've, I suppose I've always been very passionate about kind of, you know, um, the whole topic of, of, of farming and mm-hmm. agriculture. And when I first started out, it was all about creating books around the topic of farm safety. And when I used to go in and, and visit school, teachers used to say that to get the children to, to, to read, you know, the topic had to be so important. And they, they really wished that there was more books set around a farm mm-hmm. setting. So I was approached by O'Brien Press um, a couple of years ago during COVID and um, I began creating the series um, Hazel Tree Farm and last February the first of those books Blue the Brave was launched which led me to being um, an author for World Book Day and my book uh, One Stormy Night actually made the top six children's books in Ireland and at the moment we have a situation where no Irish authors are making the top ten in the children's book chart and there's a fantastic campaign called discover Irish kids books at the moment that's really helping to to address that and just now I have yet another title um, to, to add to the Hazel Tree Farm and that is The Secret Tunnel which I have just launched, just brought out and these books are very special because not only am I, you know, 
the, the, the scene, the setting is a, is a farm, but the characters are very, very heavily connected to me. Peter and Kate are the two children. They're named after my grandparents. I have my son involved in this. I have some incredible people that I've met along the way. There, there's a fantastic lady called Adele Burkharton. She's um, a guard out in, in Scarf in County Clare. And I have managed to make sure that I have Adele and her uh, her amazing work that she's done within farming included mm-hmm. here. So this really is a labour of a, of a love. And, and these books are for children of a slightly older level, like nine to, to, to ten plus. They are novels. They are stories and they are for everybody, not just those children living on, on a farm, but for those children who like a story, who, who like to read and who want something that, you know what, is traditionally more Irish uh, than, than what they might have been reading before. So I, I, I really hope people do enjoy them as much as I've enjoyed putting them together. And have you any plans then to go beyond the, the 10, 11 age bracket to try to get up around the 15 and the 16 where you know and I know and yeah. as we look at uh, every single year when silage starts, everybody sitting on one of these tractors we see in the road seems to me to be younger than they ever were before. Yes, yes. Well, I've actually been, been speaking quite heavily um, on the whole area of, of you know, the mm. access young people have to um, agricultural machinery. Mm. And I think we need to get to a place where we are introducing competency-based testing um, for, you know, because, you know, it'll all keep coming back to the same argument. You know, we need labour on our farms. Mm-hmm. We need, we, 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 we don't have the time or the resources and we, we, we don't have the money to, to you know, get, mm-hmm. you know, full staff. So let's see what we're working with here. And from the age of 14, if children are allowed access to use a farm vehicle just within the, the confinement of the, of the farm, by the time they've come 16, they should have enough experience to allow them to properly sit a test before they head out onto the road, which isn't the case when it comes to a driving license for a typical mm-hmm. car, which, by the way, you have to watch 17 or, or, or 18. Mm, yes. So I think common sense needs to start prevailing here. Let's get our young children out of those tractors immediately and let's start rewarding, equipping and, and ensuring that those drivers who are capable, who are competent, are fully licensed and prepared to take on the, that mammoth task. Um, you know, it, it, it's, mm-hmm. it's always a very emotive top, topic, Jim. It, it really does split people. But for me, common sense has to prevail here. The tractors we have grown up with are not the tractors, you know, that we have now. They are bigger, they are more powerful, they are more complicated. And we need to start respecting these for the, for, 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 for the machines that they are. And we need to respect the fact that those who have a certain competency and maturity should only be the ones allowed behind the wheel. Getting back to the book, finally. Yes. Uh, <laughs> where can the book be bought? These books are available in, you know, it's, it's, I suppose it's, it's, a, it's a phrase we all use, in all good bookshops, but they're also available online through um, my, my publishers, O'Brien Press, through Amazon. Um, and, and really, I just um, ask people to, to go out, to buy them, to enjoy the uh, stories. And, um, you know, hopefully we'll get an, another one out there. My, my, my son, he had a calf that he bought mm-hmm. with the first Holy Communion money, uh, one three sixty, And I've made sure that I've included her on the cover of this particular book as well. So it, it really is a labour of, of love. I have grown up 
on a farm. I'm living on a farm. So these stories are based on, you know, my my own life, things that I've gotten up up to, but also they're based on some of the stories and the chats and the conversation that I've met um, from from the agri kids that I've spoken with and done workshops with over the years. And I've actually dedicated the book to those those children who are such a big part of my life, of my work, of what I do, of what I'm passionate about, and who continue to drive me and motivate me, both for their safety, for their well-being, but also the enjoyment and the engagement of everything that, that a farm can, can, can bring to people. Okay, Alma, look, thanks very much for joining us this morning. And if, to anybody listening to us this morning, if you have a child between the ages of six and ten, uh, Alma's books are ideal for that age group. Why not, if you're a grandparent like I am, why not go out and buy one for your grandchildren? Or if you are a parent, why not buy one for your own children? Listeners, my next guest this morning is... John Egan and John is the Rural Recreation Officer for Tipperary and he wants to talk and promote uh, at least three of the walks that are under his stewardship here in Tipperary. Good morning John and thanks very much for joining us. Good morning Jim and and, uh, great to be with you this morning. Great to have you back on. Anyway uh, uh, John where do you want to start? Do you want to start with the home one there in Inch or do you want to start elsewhere in the county? You know, I can start at home, I suppose. Yeah, That's start at home. Start, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. I, um, I'm, 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 I'm talking now about the Cossan Phelan. It's the Inch Loop Walk and yeah. many people will know it. It, uh, it's, a, it's, it's quite a popular one, Jim. I'm sure you've been on it yourself at times. I have, um, of course. We developed it, we developed it back in 2014. Um it was a local initiative. Uh, we formed up a, a local group there and came together and, and decided to, to try and develop this. Um, a five-kilometre loop walk, lovely and flat and easy. But, um, you know, I suppose as time moves along, all of these things uh, get upgraded and get, get improved on and, and, you know, new, new bits and pieces get added to them. And that's the nature of things, I suppose. Nothing stays the same. So just in recent years there, we've um, developed... Uh, some some uh, reroutes and that, uh, which I suppose from feedback from people, there was uh, it was a desire for that, and uh, we now have um, basically you can walk the whole thing in your in your in your runners now without going through any fields if you wish. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's um, that's a, a nice uh, upgrade and 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 it's it's gravelled where it's not on um, mm-hmm. boring or on on on, on uh, riverside track. Right. So, so um, yeah. yeah. That's, uh, and from your own experience, now you're living near near enough to it. Uh, it's 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 well used, isn't it? Oh, it's it's fierce popular altogether. Yeah. Um, you know, with young and old, and it's, it, the Golden Mile of Inch would be well known. Uh, a lot mm-hmm. of people go down there anyway, and ever before there was a loop walking. There's, there's people using that, but um, we'd see we'd see strangers on it as well, and they'd come from far and wide mm-hmm. to come and use it. And uh, of course. You know, it's nice to have uh, a loop walk in a village. You know, we have good services there around Inch and Darag, and uh, people, you know, can call in for a, a pint or a cup of coffee at Darag, or there's a shop mm-hmm. there, Maloney's shop is there as well. And, you know, it's nice to have those things in a community uh, setting. And, uh, you know, I suppose for the locals as well, it's great to see kids being able to use it to walk to school and, you know, people mm-hmm. being able to walk up to Mass or walk walk to the to the shop or to the to the to the to the 
local communities uh, using it. Okay, for somebody listening to us this morning and don't know the walk, there are two places from which you can start the walk. You can start up at Monroe Church there and you can start from there or you can start from, uh, as you quite rightly mentioned earlier there, uh, the entrance to the Golden Mile. Yeah, I suppose our official trailhead would be at the church in Monroe, mm-hmm. which is the parish church of Inch. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a nice uh, area of parking up there, and that's the one we would promote in the mm-hmm. first instance. The the, the, the top of the, the road at the Golden Mile would be as well a, a secondary area for parking, mm-hmm. um, just a traditional area for parking. There's a bit of space there to do it, but I suppose in the first instance we would promote the the. the the official trailhead at, at, at Monroe Church. Okay, now the second walk then is one in Cashel that has been developed. Can you yeah. uh, tell us a little bit about that one? Yeah, this is the, the Hiking Loop, mm. Jim. It's, uh, it's fairly new. It's, it's only in existence since just before the, the COVID pandemic. Um, it's about nine kilometres. Again, quite an easy one. And uh, came, came about through a number of local um, activists and and um, stakeholders in the area coming together, and it was uh, it was it was great to see it happen because you know it's not always possible to get these things. There's a couple of local landowners there that were very amenable to letting us come in, and you have to thank them always for, for their permission. Uh, very important. We we'd be going nowhere unless we had that goodwill and generosity of spirit. Um, when you come out onto the Golden Cashel Road, then there was a it was a good wide grassy verge, and we were able to uh, uh, utilise that to develop uh, roadside paths. So we start the, the walk starts at the known as the Kiln. It's a car park just underneath the rocky castle, and goes across by the Boar and the Morrows. It's just under the rock, and then yeah. down the Boreen Bucked. A lot of people down that side will know it, and townlands of Balnamona, Castle Lake, and back to Farnamana where it come back onto the uh, Golden Cashel Road and then follows the roadside paths back into town and back up through town as well, which is very important mm-hmm. and uh, brings that little bit of uh, economic, uh, you know, uh, piece to the to the thing. And, that you know, we hope that people would stop and, you know, use the shops and the, 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 the facilities in, in town uh, when, when they use the walk. And the coffee cor- shop and stuff. Yeah. And, of course, somebody visiting Cashel, we'd say, for a couple of days and wanted something to do. There are two definite main attractions on that particular walk that I know of, and both of them are shortly after the start. And that is you can hop a stile and go right, and you can walk down to Hoare Abbey. Or if you go on a a few hundred yards after that, you can turn left and visit the rock. Yes. Yes, of course, the, the Rock and the Horabi are, mm-hmm. are well-known attractions. Um, of course, there's a lot of history in the area, and it's, you know what I mean? There's, there's, mm-hmm. when, you, when you scratch the surface, you, you find that there's more more to be found than just those uh, big attractions. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but I suppose the walk takes you down through quite countryside. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, uh, there's, you know, Castle Lake would be a, mm-hmm. uh, there was a, an old mill down there, and uh, you come out at Farrowline Cross, uh, over on, over near Castle Lake, yeah. and it's full of history and stories about all those areas. And of course, in the town we have the Dominican Abbey as well. And of course, the town is is steeped in history uh, uh, into the bargain, you know. So look at lots to see and lots to to learn about and do uh, in in the area. So I, I think it's really it's a, been a really popular one. It's 
I suppose in popularity terms, uh, the High Kings has been the has been the, the big hitter, you know. Okay, and the third walk, John. Yes, um, I was I was wanted to say to you as well. I was, I suppose it's it's an older walk. It's it's it has been developed with twenty years or more now. It's a Tipperary Heritage Way. Um, it's it's a long distance way. It's a it's one of our national waymarked ways in the county. It uh, it it starts down in in. Um, in the Knockmilldown Mountains, mm-hmm. just at Bay Lock, people will know the the the, the Corrie Lake yeah. and the Knockmilldown. It, it's a it's a picture postcard, uh, sort of a beauty spot, and you can come in there and uh, you hike forward or hike towards the north uh, up mm-hmm. through places like Bowden Bridge and Ardfinnan into Care, on towards towards Kilmiler, through Ballydrehead Wood, and on to Golden, uh, where you. Um, where you you eventually get out at the the Rock of Cashel, so we're we're you know it's a, it's a it's all sorts of different terrains. You'll you'll be in woodlands, you'll be on uh, quiet country roads, and sometimes crossing through fields. And uh, you do skirt along by the side of the the River Shore for a, a good stretch of it as well, in care and and back up uh, once you get nearer to Golden. So um, yeah, a, a, a great walk, and we've done bits of work on it there of recent years. Yes. Um, trying to improve it and 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 uh, bring bring us along. There's been work on signage and work on map boards, and we try to improve styles and things along it. So I suppose you know the message is to get out there and in, enjoy it and and see it for yourself. Um, it has been uh, it has been a kind of a cornerstone of our uh, our, our walks offering in the, in the county for an awful long time, and you know it, they need to be seen and enjoyed. And uh, we didn't thank all the landowners for their, their kind permission because there's, there's a good few of them involved on the Heritage Way. Okay, and of course uh, there are many more walks under your uh, stewardship in Tipperary and I suppose we'll talk about them uh, on another occasion. But uh, you're encouraging people to do these walks now, John, is not that correct? Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, they're there and, you know, the more they're used... Um, the, the better, you know. There's, there's no. Um, the, the, we, we, we try and encourage people to get out and use them. And I mean, from a, a health and well-being point of view, Jim, there's, there's huge benefits. And I think it's acknowledged across the board that the, the benefits to the health and well-being of people, you know, it, it, it can't be understated. Um, health-wise, and you know, watching the weight and watching all those things, um, mm. uh, it, it's, un, it, it's, it's an unbelievable resource. But also, you know. Get out and get some fresh air, clear your head. It, it can be great for for the the old, you know, the the, the head as well and the the, the head space. You know, and, and look from a from a tool interview, what an amenity to have uh, uh, for our area. And you know, people should realise that and and enjoy and you know appreciate it and get out and see it for themselves. And then they're able to tell others about it. If the new visitors do come to the area, you're able to inform them about it and 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 keep them keep them abreast of, of what's going on and what's available. So uh, look at I suppose one thing I'd always say when I when I get a chat to you, Jim, uh, is that you know with recreation on side, uh, responsible recreation is very important, and just you know people should be mindful that they are on private land, and just to um, you know follow the follow the the leave no trace principles, which is you know leave leave it, leave it as you found it, and don't don't uh, interfere with anyone's livestock or property as you go. And uh, so, leave as small a footprint after yourself as possible as you move through. And you know, it's it's uh, it's the key to uh, 
to, to, to these things and, and to keeping our relationships uh, in order with, with everyone along the way. Okay, well, look at John. It was a pleasure talking to you this morning. I sincerely hope that you, my listeners, will take an opportunity to walk one or at least one of those uh, walks that uh, John has been talking about this morning. And uh, it'll be good for your health and it'll also uh, be good for the environment. And finally, this week, listeners, I'm going to play a clip that I should have played last week, but unfortunately I didn't have enough of space on last week's programme. So you're going to hear two people that I caught up with at the Centenary Thurlis celebrations a few weeks ago. First off will be TJ Flanagan, who is the CEO of ICOS, and following that I caught up with... Jim Bergen, who is the CEO of Tierlorn. Also at the centenary celebrations was TJ Tannigan, and TJ is the CEO of ICOS. How are you, Jim? How's ICOS going? Great, TJ? yeah, yeah. It's yeah. a tough year this year, but um, co-ops are doing well, and we can see it at an event like this, just to, the benefit yeah. of co-ops and the, how resilient they are, and they survived 125 years, and hopefully they'll survive another 125. Yeah, that'll bring them up to the 250, and I don't think either you or I will be around then, TJ. No, no, it? someone will be there to pick it up, though. TJ, is the cooperative movement in Ireland growing? It is. I think it's grown slowly, not yeah. so much. I mean, in, in the agricultural sector, the crops that are there mm-hmm. are there and they're consolidating and they're merging slowly, etc. But there's new co-ops and new areas in the mm-hmm. energy and the bioeconomy and all those new sectors that I think we'll start to see come across rural Ireland over the over the coming years. Yeah, and, and another form of cooperative that seems to have taken off, particularly in small villages, are uh, co-op shops. Yeah, there's a few of them around the place. It's it's not simple. It's a tough business. Uh, it's very competitive, but where, where they're there, they're, they're run very well, and it's great to see communities supporting a shop to keep a shop in the area because sometimes you know the, that there is market failure and, and there's no one to provide that service unless the community come together, and there's some very good examples of it around, like Lockmore and everywhere else where they have their cafe, and we'd certainly encourage that. Right, OK. And where then do you see... The real growth is the real growth in the energy sector. Yeah, well, that's a new sector, you know, yeah. or reasonably new to us in, in, as a land use sector. So, whether it's in the solar or whether it's going to be the anaerobic digesters or any new modern technology. So, all these things use land, they're either sitting on land or they'll use crops or something. It's very important that farmers and landowners and rural people own them and control them. They're not controlled by outside investors, you know, so we see the co-op model as a very good one to harness the, the energy and the, commu- and, and, and the engagement of, of the local community so they'd buy into it, you know. OK, it's beginning to rain here now and I'll be outside. We'd better get back inside no problem, uh, to Jim. all the noise. But if we could harness the rain that's coming down for energy, we'd be... It certainly would be, we'd be, me- quickly, we'd be wealthy, all right, yeah. We? Look, it's grand talking to you for a few... For a few minutes. No problem, Jim. My pleasure. And well done with all the good work that ICOS is doing. Thanks for that, That listener was TJ Flanagan, who is the CEO of ICOS. The next person I caught up with is somebody I haven't spoken to for quite some time. It's Jim Bergen. He doesn't come from too far away now. You don't really only had to come in from Orlingford. That's right. We still had to cross the border, Jim. So, <laughs> yeah, so it's, yeah. it's, you know, I was conscious I, of that. I, but I know. But okay. <laughs> now, you're now the CEO of Tier Lawn. That's now, right. Okay, you took a bit of uh, a resin over the name. 
Actually, we did. Uh, yeah, but as they say, no publicity is bad publicity. So, um, you yeah, learned the, that from <laughs> Michael O'Leary, by the way. I, know, I, right. <laughs> <laughs> a gentler style than Michael now, but but um, yeah, sure. Look at we developed a name, and and yeah. uh, you know, in truth, we're very happy with it. You know, yeah. it's it's a brand at the end of the day. It's not a not a literal translation of, of anything, um, but the the brand and what it stands for uh, has gone down very well, particularly internationally with our customers. Mm. They can pronounce it and and uh, and they understand what it means. So no, we're very happy with it now and we're rebranding all our branches and our, our trucks at the moment people can see the trucks on the main site so yeah going yeah. going well to be honest yeah, yeah. yeah. we can yeah. see little stickers nearly on the trucks you that's know. right I really haven't got around to no uh, we're to we, doing a really big job but you have so many trucks to do anyway uh, no we have sure we have about 130 trucks you know and yeah. they're flat out over the peak so we weren't able to pull them in and do them at that time so uh, we have about half done and we have we have the rest of them to do in the second half of the year but um, yeah no no look it's it's different the, the, the colouring is different and it's it's distinctive, so uh, we're happy enough with how it's going. Okay, then from the CEO's point of view, financially, how is it going? Oh, sure, it's, it's strong. It's very, very yeah. strong, uh, Jim. So, the, like yeah. the balance sheet is worth 1.4 billion today. So, mm. you know, that's that's very, very strong. And we we own 28 uh, percent uh, of the Plan B of PLC. And yeah. you know, even in the last while, uh, the, the the value of that has gone up. Um, for, you know, from yeah. 12 euros a share up to 15. You know, and that's a very significant increase for us. So, uh, so very, very strong balance sheet. Uh, we're managing it very tightly as we have to do. Mm. Yes, last year was a very strong year. You know, mm. and we were able to do a lot of the the set up of the organisation, you know, and get that done. But this year is a very, very different year. Then very challenging, hard on farmers all the time. A lot of uncertainty around. Uh, but we're managing it as tightly as we can, and we're doing as much as we can for our farmers also. And how hard do you think it is on farmers at the moment? Uh, you know, I think it's really taking a cut every time. We ah, yeah, get, yeah. Every time I get an email from you now, it's a cut. I know. Well, look, there's a number yeah. of things happened. Like the first thing is that, that the weather always puts farmers in bad humour, you know, and they have to have to handle that very hard on our grain farmers. Uh, you know, we've had a drought this year. We've had the wettest uh, March that we ever had. Uh, I don't know, was it July, the wettest July? But it was a very tough July. So weather is, is one thing. Uh, from the start of the year, we've had significant reductions in milk price. Now, last year was at a, at a price that we never saw before. But at the same time, you know, when you have a negative dynamic there, that causes worry. Uh, we're, we're, we're at a point now where we're, we're below the cost of production, you know, uh, uh, on farms. And that causes a lot of worry, as, as, you, as you know. And then on the whole sustainability side of it, you know, with the dairy uh, and the nitrates banding, you know, and uncertainty around what policy is, go- is going to ha- happen in relation to that. Uh, you know, there's a good few worries and it's complex. I was over at the Piltown show today before yeah. I came to this great event and, and um, you know, I, I was talking to a very, very advanced farmer there and he said he was filling out our survey at the moment, yeah. so we're doing a census at the moment and he had to make two or three runs at it because, it, you know, there's so much complexity now around regulation and policy, you know, and what he's going to do for the future. So, um, I, I, you know, I'd, be, I'd have great sympathy for farmers at the moment in the current, current environment, but the resilient bunch, I know, they'll hang in there and, and we'll see good times again. You mentioned one thing that I haven't covered on the programme for quite some time, and that's the grain business. It's it's been a very, very difficult time. I'd hate to have... Uh, to be a, a cereal grower. Yeah, so it's uh, it, it's been mixed, to be quite honest. So, mm. like, the, 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 first of all, the weather has been very bad, okay. and they're trying to get it. But there is great machinery on the roads. You know, when you see yeah. the harvesters now and the, and the quality of tractors and trailers and all that, you know, if they get a chance, they're able to able to get it. Uh, but it's it's very frustrating. The the winter crops, on average, were good. They were good good average, is, yeah. is what we would say. The the big challenge is the spring barley. You know, that in many fields, there's kind of two crops. You know, there's a, there's an advanced 
crops and an early crop that's lodged yeah. and then there's a late crop that, that still only you know looks kind of after it's, it's, some of it looks like it's only after turning you know yeah. so it's going to be very mixed that, that's our expectation the price last year was, was you know over 300 euros a ton in the current year the price is hovering just south of 200 euros a ton so you know that's that's a third of their of their income compared with last year but last year was exceptional so it's it's tough it's 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 tough on the grain man this year yeah okay well look at jim thanks for having a few words with tip fm that yeah, and, and Jim, can I just say congratulations to Centenary. Uh, yeah. You know, 125 years, it's hard to stay in business that long. And, and as the chairman of Centenary, Paddy, m- 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 reminded me outside, and we've kept the same name. Yeah, so, so fair dues. No, it's a great day, a great right, event right. here. So oh, yeah. congratulations. Okay. Yeah. Thank you very much, that listeners of Jim Bergen, the CEO of Tier Lawn. Before I sign off this morning, uh, just to remind you of two things. One is the... The talk on the barn owl that's taking place in Cabra Wetlands on Tuesday the 19th. That's next Tuesday and that's at 7.30. And you may remember I was speaking to uh, three people involved in that last week. And the other is that I hope that as many of you as possible can get to that big national national event that's taking place on Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday. And just one little thing to say, please drive safely and get there to Rathaniska. Enjoy your day out and please drive carefully on the way home. And I've been asked to ask you all to obey the RD and to follow the signs. And if you do that, you'll have a wonderful day out in Rathaniska at the 2023 National Ploughing Championships. That, listeners, is AgriReport for this week. I hope you enjoyed the show and that you'll join me at the same time next week. And, of course, we'll be talking about the ploughing assets. Coming up next is the news at 10 o'clock. And after that, Eamon Dwyer presents... Down your way.